today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. That's the danger in pretending to be a sheep. The longer you do it, the harder it is to be converted. Your heart hardens. The message of the gospel no longer moves you. You continue to live and walk in a lie. The personality trait of a true believer is vastly different than that of a non-believer. Just as, again, the trait of a sheep is so totally different than that of a dog or of a pig. So what does your life say about you? Are you a true believer or are you a false professor? Due to the deceptive nature of the human heart, we can easily convince ourselves that we are someone or something we are truly not. Perhaps the most tragic form of this deception is none other than an individual who believes that they're saved but aren't. In today's message, Pastor David warns us of the dangers of continually hardening our hearts to the call of God's Spirit in our lives. In our study, we learn the importance of seeking out our salvation with fear and trembling, leaving no room for doubt. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, False Personalities, from the book of 2 Peter chapter 2. They think that they are in total control and they have absolute power even over the spiritual world. And I'm not saying that there's not a need for, uh, uh, again, to be afraid of, or that we need to be afraid of, again, uh, demonic spirits or Satan. I'm not saying that we don't need to, or that we need to be afraid because we don't need to be afraid of those. But yet at the same time, we do need to have a healthy understanding and a healthy respect for that spiritual realm. Beloved, because it is different and it responds different than we are. But they have absolutely no care. And even as it says there, they, they, they speak these things, again, these accusations. We read about in reference to this thing in that parallel verses that are found in Jude. In Jude verse 9 and 10, Jude tells us that even Michael the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, he didn't dare, he didn't dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. And yet these men, these false teachers, these false prophets, these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy him. Again, these are areas that you don't dare walk into lightly. And Peter tells us here in verse 11 that angels, angels who are greater in power and might 
they don't bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. So even angels don't, again, speak in the matter and in the, 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 the flippantness of these false teachers. Peter goes on to say, uh, again, these corrupt personalities, these corrupt traits and these actions of these false teachers. In verse 12, he says, but these, like brute beasts, they're, they're made to be caught and destroyed. They speak evil of the things that they don't understand, and they will utterly perish in their own corruption. They will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. He says they are spots and they're blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, while they're part of the body of Christ. All of this deception, all of this corruption is within them. It says in verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin, and they entice unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. They are accursed children. The unfortunate thing, as Peter says here, these false teachers, these false prophets, they're found throughout the visible church. And I don't believe that there's any barriers of denominations or or church types either. I'm not so naive to think that, oh, they're all around the church except here. We know that we don't have any false teachers or false prophets here. They have arisen through the years. We've had them in our midst through the years. Now, they are visible or they're there within the visible church, but they are not a part of what is the true church. They may be in fellowship and they may try to pass themselves off as believers, but by their actions, by their attitudes, by their motives, they declare just the opposite, that they're not true believers. As they make themselves at home here within the church, they continue to walk on in their own deception, in their own lies. And Peter says here that their heart is so set on evil that they cannot cease from sin. Wow, that's pretty powerful. They cannot cease from sin. And in the midst of their sin, they draw to themselves these unstable souls. It seems pretty apparent with Peter's writings here and with his words that their heart is not the Lord's. These are not born-again people. They're not those that have simply slipped for a moment or for a season in their life and fallen away from the Lord. No, these are ones, as Peter says, they will utterly perish in their own corruption. They will receive the wages of unrighteousness. They have a heart that's trained in covetous practices. They are accursed children. That doesn't sound like saved people to me, does it? No, these, again, they, 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 they have this continual, habitual attitude, this heart of sin, an unrepentant lifestyle. They can't be children of God's kingdom, according to what I read within the word of God. They are, as Peter says, they are accursed children of darkness. And even though they walk among the ranks of the redeemed, we move on in verse 15, Peter tells us the sad reality I believe that what he's saying is that they had heard the truth. It had been declared to them, I believe, perhaps for every Sunday for years. And he says in verse 15, yet they have forsaken the right way. 
and they've gone astray. They're following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. That story of the prophet Balaam, it's a great one. There's a lot of lessons within that story that we're not gonna have time to look at today. So that means your homework assignment is is to go home and read Numbers 22, 23, 24, 25. Oh, and also put in chapter 31 too because that kind of ties everything together about Balaam. In essence, we find that Balaam was a for-profit prophet. Okay, He was paid for his prophecies. And it didn't seem like at the beginning anyway that there was a a problem. It seemed like he wanted to hear from the Lord. But then again, uh, he he just again became more and more enamored, I believe, by the finances of the thing. And you can look at that because we find out that he definitely did use his understanding of the people of Israel to draw them away from faithfulness to the Lord. John tells us in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, that it was Balaam that taught Balak, the king of Midianites, to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food that was sacrificed to the idols and by committing sexual immorality. This is what Peter is speaking about here, that again, Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness more than he loved obedience and faithfulness to God. And he led Israel again into that sin of pagan worship. He couldn't, he couldn't come and curse them. And when you read the story, it's very interesting. He comes and he tries to curse Israel, but as he prays and he seeks the Lord, the Lord said, no, you can't curse them. And he would give them a blessing each time. And so Balak was finally just really frustrated with him and apparently left, but somehow he came back. Balaam and Balak got back together. And we find out that though he couldn't curse the people of Israel, he did tell Balak, hey, you know what? I'm not going to curse them, but if you would simply tell them or bring your Midianite women into their camp, let the men of Israel start mixing with the women of the Midianites, then you're going to snag them there. And as soon as that started taking place, they also started getting into their idol worship. And from that, Israel fell. Why? Because again, the sin of Balaam that gave this information out. It's the same mindset, Peter is saying, it's the same kind of a mindset that these false prophets, these false teachers have, that money becomes that great motivator. And we spoke about that a couple of weeks ago, that you can always follow the money with these false teachers and these false prophets. Peter continues on in verse 17. He says, these are wells without water. They're clouds that are carried about by tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. That sounds like a pretty permanent judgment that God's going to bring on them. Verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh and through lewdness the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Again, These false teachers, they're they're charlatans from the very beginning. And they're the ones that draw these weak, these unstable, these naive believers through the lusts of the flesh, 
through the lewdness, pulling them away from the purity of the gospel, from righteous living. Say, oh no, you can be free in this area. You can be free in this area. It's okay to live this way. It's okay to live that way. After all, it's the grace of God that covers all. And these false ones, they promise these new or these naive, maybe not new, but naive and and unstable believers. They promise them liberty. And yet it says that these false teachers themselves, they're slaves of corruption. Now, this isn't saying that the ones that were fooled, the ones that have been drawn away, that they're now in a state of condemnation. You really need to see this in the context of all that's written here. What Peter says is that they've allowed themselves, these naive believers, these unstable believers, they've allowed themselves to come back under the bondage of sin in their lives by following these false teachers. Verse 20 through 22 now is directed toward these false teachers, these false prophets, those that have never truly been a part of God's kingdom. Listen to what he says says here in verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow having walked to her wallowing in the mire. Now, here we need to be very careful. We need to really understand the context in the whole. Otherwise, you're going to get a misunderstanding of this passage. The very first question that you need to ask when we start speaking of those that have escaped the pollutions of the world and again entangled, it says, after they. So the first question you have to ask is, who be they? Who are the they that Peter is speaking about? Well, the they in verse 20, I believe, is the same they of verse 19. Look at verse 19. And he is speaking about, again, the false teachers leading the believers. And he says, while they, the false teachers, promise them, these naive believers, they promise them liberty, they, the false teachers themselves, are slaves of corruption. I feel it's very clear in the English, it's even more clear in the Greek that, again, the they of verse 19 is also the they of verse 20. And so we begin with that understanding. In verse 20, Peter continues on with this declaration of the condemnation of these false teachers. So then what does it mean that the false teachers and these prophets... They have escaped the pollution of the world. They are then again entangled in them and overcome. And it says that their latter end is worse for them than the beginning. I believe that what he's saying is is these false teachers, they've heard the message of salvation over and over and over again as they've been a part of the visible church. And they have been partakers of the graces of God. Why? Because they've been a part of the church, not through salvation, but much along the same way that a non-believer is covered by grace within a household where there is a believer. 
And the word speaks about that, again, even of an unbelieving spouse. Hey, don't leave them because your family is covered by you as a believer there. And I believe for these false teachers that they had experienced many of the graces of God simply while they were with the church, while they were partakers. Again, it's not a guarantee of their salvation, but it is a strong portion or it's an application of what's known as common grace. And these false ones, as they've experienced the graces of God actually vicariously through the experience of God's people, that they've seen God move, they've, they've heard the testimonies of saints, they've seen the blessing of God in so many ways, and yet they themselves were never converted. They might have had a religious experience, but there was never a conversion, and now their hearts, because they've sat under the teaching so long and have rejected the teaching for so long, their hearts have become hardened and they remain, again, a a false portion of that household of faith. As this happens, the message of the gospel becomes harder and harder for them to receive. Why? Because their hearts have grown further and further away from the truth. And they themselves, they're further and further away from repentance. And as the word says, their latter end is now worse for them than it was at the beginning because they become hardened to the gospel. The gospel message no longer appeals to them. They've hardened their hearts to that point of no longer being able to hear and no longer responding to that wooing of the Holy Spirit. For so long they looked like sheep. They hung around with sheep. They even spoke the language of the sheep. But they were never truly changed. They were never truly converted from what they were. They remained the same, lost and without hope. Peter makes it very clear that there was no conversion in these lives as he brings together both a Jewish proverb as well as a Jewish saying or phrase of that day. To be called a pig or a dog within the Jewish culture was like the ultimate of insults. And here Peter says the dogs and the pigs return to who and what they are. He says in verse 22, but it happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. I need to give you some information this morning that may just absolutely overwhelm some of you and it may, again, just impact you in a a very powerful way, but I feel I need to give it to you this morning. No matter how cute and cuddly that little dog is that you have in your family, no matter how much you have embraced him into your home life, he is a dog, okay? He is a dog. He will never be anything other than a dog. He will never be a sheep, okay? He is a dog. No matter how well you have him trained, no matter how many things he can do, no matter how many tricks he can play, he is a dog. And like Peter says here, he'll continue to do the things that dogs do like a dog returns to its own vomit. And that's only one of the mild things that dogs do for, yeah, okay. I understand this. He is a dog. The Reardons are going to be taking some 
uh, or a pig to the uh, county fair, entered into the 4-H competition. They've raised the pigs, they've fed them, they've cared for them, they've bathed them, they've pampered them beyond belief. It is a pig, okay? They've bathed them, they, 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 the pig, after it's all bathed up, and they, I don't know if they put perfume on it, make it smell like lilacs and lavender, or I don't know, maybe a little bow on the head. Somebody told me last night, yeah, and don't forget the lipstick on it, you know, so... But the thing is, is once that pig is left to herself, guess where that pig goes? To the mire, to to the mud pile. Why? Because it's a pig. And it never was a sheep. The dog returns to its own vomit. The pig returns to the wallowing mire. Why? Because they never were changed. They never were anything else. No matter how you dress them up, no matter how much they pretend, these false teachers remain the same. What Peter is trying to explain here is that they've been in, these false teachers have been in, they've stayed around the church so long. They've heard the message so many times. They've hardened their hearts all too often, and their latter end is worse for them than the beginning. They do not have a repentant heart. They will return back to what they really are. They pretended to be sheep Yet they remained as dogs and pigs, never having a, a conversion experience. And beloved, that's the danger in pretending to be a sheep. The longer you do it, the harder it is to be converted. Your heart hardens. The message of the gospel no longer moves you. You continue to live and walk in a lie. Personality trait of a true believer is vastly different than that of a non-believer. Just as, again, the trait of a sheep is so totally different than that of a dog or of a pig. So what does your life say about you? Are you a true believer or are you a false professor? We do need to be on guard for false teachers. We do need to be on guard for false prophets. But also, we need to know You need to know that you truly are a sheep of his flock, one of the redeemed. Check the traits in your life, not by an internet test, but by the word of God. When you lay your your life alongside the word of God, the word of God tells us in Galatians chapter five, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that's control of self. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ, they've crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So how does your life measure up? Where does your personality trait fall along these things? Or should we ask your spouse? Why don't we ask the Spirit of God to reveal to each of us, Lord, reveal my life to me. Reveal those areas in my life that are far from you that need to be yours. Reveal to me whether I'm truly yours or whether I've just been playing religion all of these years. Trying to play religion won't get you closer to heaven. It'll actually get you further away. 
because you'll start believing the lie. Is the Spirit of God abiding, living in your life? And are you growing in the traits that again speak that you are of the redeemed? easy to overlook the smaller books of the New Testament, such as this short letter of 2 Peter. That's why it's so great to have a teaching like the one you heard today, where Pastor David was able to remind us of its importance and take us deeper into the meaning behind the words. If you want to keep studying through these audio messages, Pastor David is here to share with you how you can do that. Thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, and shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take the open word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical teachings with you anytime and anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. In his letter, the Apostle Peter spoke forcefully of the coming day of the Lord, where the earth will pass away and everything here will be gone. He gives us instruction on how we should live in light of this fact and encourages us to diligently pursue godliness. These teachings from so long ago are still practical lessons for living a godly life that we need to study and apply today. We hope you've been encouraged, but also challenged to go deeper in your walk with Christ. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor David's message. Be sure to join us again to continue studying 2 Peter right here on The Open Word. It's more.